tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Mike Bricker. Mike is the Chief of Care Centers. Mike will be developing organizational strategy and sustaining that through the management of all our care centers. Mike will develop a national model for workforce development that partners from the community up to local shelters to provide sustainable change and save more animals. Mike comes to care as the former director of operations for the Shelter in Bed program at Best Friends Animal Society. He spent most of his time in Texas as interim executive director at different shelters where he used his compassion and talent to get to know the staff, put the time in to connect with the community, all while saving more animals. During his time in Texas, he was able to take PVAC from a 34% live release rate to 93% and Abilene from 55% to 89%. Before Best Friends, Mike was the Director of Operations at Camden County Animal Shelter, CCAS. In addition to rewriting the shelter's adoption policies, Mike helped to create a life-saving department, launch CCAS's Community Cat Program, pioneer the Rent-A-Dog Program, and modernize the shelter's medical operations. Wow, what a lineup. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much. <laughs> well, it's great having you here. And you sounds like you've been all over the place. But before we jump into your journey, tell me first, how did you become passionate about cats? Uh, I can't remember like when it all started, but I mean, I just from as long as I can remember, I've always loved cats. I've always loved cats and dogs, but I had a, a special relationship with uh, a community cat when I was little. I just thought it was so cool that, you know, he would keep coming back to our house to be fed. And uh, I guess that's the start of my love and passion for cats. You know, it's really interesting because there was a cat that I sort of named Watson. I don't know why. I thought he looked like a Watson and he was in Cambridge when I was living in Cambridge, an old toothless old fellow who lived under the porch of a house around the corner from where my apartment was. And this was back in the late 80s, early 90s. And, you know, I didn't know what a community cat was. I just knew it was Watson. You know, I needed some tuna and some yeah. food and some help. And so I know we've sort of professionalized all of this business with cats being outside, you know, so the work that you're doing, I mean, how is it impacting just folks that are out there that just want to feed those Watsons? Yeah, I mean, in a big way. I mean, I think care what care is doing for people on the street level or in the community is unlike almost anything else in animal welfare. One of our biggest care partners is Sterling Davis, the trap king. You know, so we are, we're definitely supporting Sterling and all of his, you know, getting him out to other areas. He's actually, he visited us in Philadelphia, Camden uh, in the month of November. It was a huge hit of bringing him other places, but also, you know, it's just when we're starting care centers and care partnerships, we're looking for people that are inside the community that are doing work just like that. Other people like Sterling, but in their community that are trapping cats, we work really hard to support them and anything they need. That's great. So tell me more specifically about CARE. You know, you shared a little bit. When did CARE get started? You know, how is it working? I mean, you say you're looking with people who are trying to support their businesses, getting out in the community, that kind of thing. But 
you know, yeah. just tell me about your origins and you're into all this strategy. So, you know, what's CARE going to be doing too? Yeah, well, CARE's doing a ton. And CARE started a little over a year ago now, and we have different divisions. So each division kind of focuses on something different. So we have the narrative di division, which I think is all the divisions are super important, but I really love this portion a lot, uh, narratives. And the reason is, you know, there's tons of people doing this work. There's tons of BIPOC people that are doing this work, but you don't see them highlighted in animal welfare at all. And what our narratives division is doing is finding those people and putting a spotlight on them doing the work in their community so that it's not just a Sterling Davis, you know, as the only African-American cat trapper. And we know that's not true, right? But he's the only one we see. There's a bunch of others out there. So we're working to find those people and highlight and spot, put a spotlight on them. And I think by doing that, you know, it's going to bring other people into the movement. Once people see themselves in the movement, they find it way easier to jump in that movement. It's harder when you don't think that uh, there's people like you doing these things. So I think the narrative division is, is huge. And I think that's going to make such an impact on animal welfare as a whole, just having somebody out there looking for those people and putting a spotlight on those people. Then we have engagement, which is amazing as well. Uh, we just started the CARE Circle which is like a membership. If you want to know everything that, you know, we're doing at CARE, you join the circle, but also we're using it as a tool for care centers and giving our care center partners a tool that they can grow and have and start to collect people in the community that want to help them do things. The care circle gives that care center partner an ability to reach out to all of the people that, that joined their circle. And if they have an event that they need volunteers for, or if they just found a, a kitten that they need to foster for, they're able to then send a text message or a mass email out to all of those people. And I think what's so cool about the circle is the way that you get added to it. You know, everybody's on their cell phone. So instead of going on a website and filling out a large form, you can join the circle that way, or you can join the circle just by texting 52886 to uh, texting circle to 52886. And it's, you're joined like that. So then you're added to the, their circle and then that person can contact you uh, and keep you informed on everything their organization is doing. Then you have uh, research and development, which is huge. You know, so we're doing research inside the communities. You know, we worked with a community in Minneapolis. They're called Little Earth United Tribes. It's a small community. It's one of the only communities inside of a city, an urban community tribe, I should say, an urban tribe. That's, it's not just one tribe, like, you know, like Cherokee or Red Lake. It's actually 30 different tribes that call this area of Minneapolis their home. And we are doing some research there. We're trying to figure out how many animals are in that, that community and how we can get them services and support. But research and development is doing a lot of big things. And then we have care centers. So care centers is, that's what I oversee. That's my passion. And really all of these things kind of help out care centers as well. Like research uh, helps us make informed decisions. You know, narratives is going to help put a spotlight on that. And engagement is going to get us the people we need to really support those that are our care center partners. So tell me about care centers, because I, was, I sure. think that's going to be my interest and my, my passion. And I'll share with you my experience. And I, I've had a conversation with James about this before, too, which when I was exploring going into new communities to help with their community cat issues, 
And it was sort of in the early days where we were thinking about targeting and the importance of targeting. So I think we're sort of shifting some of our thought process a little bit. We still are targeting, but maybe we're calling it a different thing, more like, you know, immersion or that kind of thing. So when I went into what I would call a new community, I would go in, but I would create a committee or I'd head up a committee helping with bringing resources into that community, but creating a self-sustaining model so that then after about two years, ideally, after about two years, I would feel comfortable. And I mean, I'm sure you're comfortable with this conversation from best friends because a lot of best yeah. friends work goes this way is where you go in and you create your, your program, your model, your support, your folks, you get your tribe together and then you leave because then they're self-sustaining. How is this care centers different from that kind of model? So yeah, I definitely know a lot about that that model that you're talking about. Working at the Inbed program, that's what I did. I went into these communities, you know, started building that program up, and then and then left usually after a year or two. And it, it works. It definitely works. But I think with this, what care centers are doing is instead of a Mike Bricker going to this community, we're finding the Mike Bricker that's already in that community and building off them. So we're supporting that person. So that way, there's nobody that's leaving. You know, there's no change of hands at all. It's this, this person that's already in the community that's doing this work that just needs some support with X, Y, and Z, we're providing that support and helping build that team, that care center around them. And uh, really, you're not going to see like a lot of like care stuff when we go in there. It's not going to be like care plastered all over Camden and Philadelphia or care plastered all over Atlanta. It's really the organization that we helped to build. That's, that's who we're going to highlight there. So like in Atlanta, we have Braveheart Pets. And when we do messaging in Atlanta, it's all about Braveheart Pets. And then CARE takes the back seat, you know, because it's really about that organization, how they're going to make the changes for their community, because they're from the community. They, they have the solutions, you know, we're just going to support them in that way. So I'm going to ask you another loaded question here. Sure. So we have so many people out there that are doing such great work, trapping on their own. We hear all these stories through the Trapper certification workshops that we do here with Community Cats Podcast in partnership with Neighborhood Cats on a monthly basis. And I was saying earlier, before we hit the record button, like it's about 70 to 80% of the people are not at all involved with an organization. However, I get a lot of emails from folks saying, you know, I'm thinking I need to create a nonprofit because I'm now doing this so much. And so many people are asking for my help, my assistance. So are you looking for people with certain types of skills? Is there a, a process to go through? Say, hey, I would love to have some support from care because I want to do this. I think I can do this, but I don't know how to do this. How do you recruit folks to be those leaders? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it's just like that. Honestly, we don't have to do much recruiting. People come to us and, and, and that's good. And, you know, it's difficult at times because obviously we can only, only do as much as funding allows um, and as time allows. We're much bigger than we were a year ago, but we were still only a seven-person team right now. So right now we're focusing on certain areas of the country. So if, yeah, if you are in those areas that you see our care centers in, which right now it's Miami, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Camden, and then parts of Minnesota. If you see our care centers in your area and you want to be a part of it, definitely reach out. I would say that you know, we're going to be sending out more information, like I said, as funding allows on how we can, you know, grow that and go into markets that we haven't reached yet. Uh, but they can find that out just by joining our care circle. That's how they're going to get all that information. And do these people have to be a 501c3? No, no, not at all. Actually, um, 
we've helped, you know, multiple organizations, you know, start uh, their 501c3 and get that, you know, Braveheart Pets, Tim Freeman in Atlanta, he just had the idea and we've been working with him over the past six or seven months to kind of build that out. He's now a registered 501c3 nonprofit. He's trained dogs, but no, they don't have to have that. We'll help them. Being out there on the field, seeing people who are out there on the field with Sterling and others involved with community cats, what do you see as being the greatest challenges for us going forward? I think our biggest challenge is getting more people on the team, you know, getting more people to the table or like we like to say it cares, like throwing out that old table and, and building a new table. I think for far too long, there's only been if we're using like a, a football rest, uh, reference, it's it's all quarterbacks on the team. You know, we need to d- diversify. We need to have more people on the team. And, and the communities that we need to reach the most, it's those people that we don't see on our team yet. So I think the more we can do to hire different board members, to, to make sure that your staff looks like the community that you're serving, to make sure your volunteers look like the community that you're serving, to really change your messaging, to, to focus on those communities that really need our help. I think that's going to be the best way to, to do these things. Like, I think that's why it's so cool having Sterling have a platform that he does, you know, because I think just by him existing and for that spotlight being on him and, and it's quite the spotlight now. I mean, the Netflix show that he did, he was on Shark Tank. Uh, he's, He's doing like, you know, the, the tabby dates, all sorts of stuff. I mean, we get so many messages just saying that, like, you know, I, I always wanted to work with cats. I always wanted to work in, in animal welfare, but seeing Sterling makes me know that I can do it. And I think the more people that we highlight, the easier this is going to be for all of us. You know, it's always easier when you have a bigger team. Yeah. I'm really thrilled to have this uh, conversation because we'll be continuing it to a certain degree at the online cat conference in a few days. So I think that that's going to be really exciting. So for folks that are interested in joining us at the online cat conference, you can go to communitycatspodcast.com, check out, sign up for the online cat conference. It's a whole weekend all about cats and Mike will be joining us. And I am just really thrilled to be able to continue this conversation you know, in your bio, you talked about creating a community cat program. And I, there are a lot of people out there that, you know, would like to start something more organized. And you, yeah. it seems like you've worn the hat sort of like bigger organization, individual person. I hear the big organizations, they should be doing this. And then I hear from the big organizations, well, everybody should feel like they're responsible for this on their own. And they can't expect everything from us on the big organization side of things. Where is our middle road? I think the bigger organizations are doing a much better job now of what you were talking about earlier and targeting, and they're trying to figure out how they tap into these smaller communities. But the communities up until recently didn't know how to tap into those bigger organizations. So I think, I think those two sides are starting to come together. And that's why I think that care centers plays such a vital role in that and care in general plays such a vital role in that being that kind of middle ground that's going to merge those two groups, the community level and then the big organization. Because we do, myself, Kenny, Jen, James, Johnny, we've all worked for, you know, these bigger organizations as well. So we know the gaps there. And all of us come from the communities that these bigger organizations are trying to reach. So we speak that language as well. So I think, I think there is a middle ground. And I think that everybody's starting to realize it especially those big organizations, they're starting to realize how they can really 
you know, access those communities. But yeah, that that's the whole that's the whole reason care was created is is to really be that advocate for the communities, support them until, you know, a day when we're, we don't need the bigger guys. You know, right. once these communities are self-sustainable, those bigger guys can pivot on something else. You know, I think for anything as far as animals are related to be completely sustainable, it has to happen in the community. It has to happen by the community. I think where the bigger guys get in trouble is that they, they do give, 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 but then they have the same struggles as everybody. They can't give to everyone, you know, or they have to stop giving to a certain point. And that's when we kind of see this, these programs fail, you know, but if the, if the community has the program, they're running the program, it's for them, it's by them, that's going to be sustainable. They're, they're going to keep that going. We interrupt this podcast for a quick trivia question. Where's the single place with answers to all of your animal welfare questions? Yes, even the one that kept you awake until two in the morning. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? It's Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum is the only dedicated forum for our industry where you can find answers from colleagues fast and free. Stop doom scrolling and join today. Visit forum.maddiesfund.org slash cats. Could your animal welfare organization use a tune-up? Humane Network can help. You can get a free 30-minute consultation to talk through your challenges and get ideas on how your organization can be more successful with less stress. From board development and fundraising to strategic planning and operations, Humane Network has got you covered. Whether you're a large or small, nonprofit or government, it's a live and thriving program led by a certified animal behavior consultant features specially designed training for shelter and clinic staff on enrichment, stress reduction, safe animal handling, and behavior modification. With Humane Network, you receive individualized advice and support customized to meet your organization's unique needs. And Humane Network can lighten your load by taking on fundraising, communications, and other tasks you struggle with. Contact Humane Network today for a free 30-minute consultation. Visit humanenetwork.org. That's humanenetwork.org. A simple picture of an animal in foster or needing adoption just doesn't cut it. Adopters want to see video of the animal in action, showing off their personality. But shelter software doesn't let you get video back from fosters or staff easily. They can't text it because video is just too big and posting to YouTube means you have to give them access. If only there was a way for you to get video back from anyone that you can use in your organization. Luckily, the team at Dubert has solved this problem with their rescue tube module. Now you simply create a bucket and give that code to any of your staff, volunteers, or fosters to type into the Dubert mobile app. They can easily upload videos up to 10 minutes that you can easily download and use in your adoption efforts. Organizations across the country are using Dubert's Rescue Tube to capture video of foster animals, adoption events, playtime, and behavior testing. ACOs are even using it to document cases in the field so they have video evidence. Check out Rescue Tube today at www.dubert.com, where they make animal rescue simple. So you mentioned earlier about diversity on boards and you know, being representative of your community and the community you serve, which means you have to have an understanding of who you serve. And sometimes some organizations, at least the smaller ones, I know they're just reacting all the time. You know, I don't care where this call's coming. I'm getting that litter of kittens. I'm getting that mom spade and I'm just dealing with it and I'm done and blah, blah. You know, so how do you get a diverse board? I mean, what are the barriers that you're seeing? And then how do boards, it's not that they don't want to, but 
or is there a how, or what is it that's embedded in us that's preventing us from becoming more diverse at the board level? Yeah, I think I think it's the, that communication and that understanding of the community, right? So, like, how do people under, know what your your organization does? You know, how do people find out about your organization? Generally, in animal welfare, we're in a vacuum. We're talking to ourselves, you know. So we're only going to find people that are in animal welfare or that are volunteers already. So we have to go out of that. We have to go into our community, you know. And and I think that's going to help in more ways than just finding board members. Being active in your community, and I don't mean just by going there once a month for a pet pantry, but truly being out in your community, like for bigger uh, shelter organizations, having your animal control officers go out and, you know, without their ticket book and just knock on doors and say hi, and talk to people or go to community events or, you know, show up at the dog park and just throw the, you know, a ball around and just talk to people. Start joining community events or being a part of community events that have nothing to do with animals at all, you know, a craft show or something like that. But really being involved in your community, that's how people that are outside of this sphere are going to find out about you. And then you're going to find all this community wisdom that's just sitting there. They have the answers. They know what needs to happen for their community. Accept them in at every level, staff, director board, whatever, bring them in and you will see your organization change for the better. Yeah, that's excellent. I'm going to pivot again here. I've got so many different topics rattling around in my that's mind. Okay. So yeah. I'm going to pivot again because I also want to talk about an issue with regards to transport. So obviously it's been a heavier conversation in the dog world, but there is transport happening for cats for sure. Definitely. You know, yeah. And I think it's on the rise and it's growing. And I think at the end of the day, I always say, let's learn lessons from the dog transport. What can we learn so that then we're not going to be doing this with the cats? But I, I do hear uh, folks saying, well, you're taking all the good animals out of areas, transporting them out, and then you're, you're kind of leaving what I call the strange, odd, old, and dysfunctional, which is what the group I ran, Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, sort of specializes in adopting out. But as And I think there's a lot of us out there that are, are specialists in those kinds of cats, because probably 90% of them all are that way anyway. But I digress. Going back to that statement, I do have a strong belief that, you know, our animals are our community. So that then if we're shipping some of them out, there is a vacuum effect, you know, of some kind. And there's a shift in the mentality around our, our cats. Do you have any thoughts sort of on that topic? On cat transport as a whole? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the whole idea of transport in itself isn't a sustainable idea. I think it's, it's so expensive. And I do think that it is just another Band-Aid, right? I think it's great for when, you know, like when I first went to Palm Valley, you know, we were taking in 30,000 animals, you know, 15,000 of those were cats. We were just getting animals every single day. So we were trying to get them all out as safe and as happy and as, as healthy as we could as quick as possible. So we did a lot of transports actually to Canada with cats from all the way from Texas. They, they found their way in Canada, which was amazing, but it is, it's super expensive and you're still going to keep getting in those cats, right? You're not doing anything to kind of quell that. So I think for cats specifically, the answer I feel is TNR, you know, you're do as much TNR, really focus on that. If you're going to spend the money, you spend the money on creating TNR, a TNR program for your shelter or your rescue or or supporting people that are already doing TNR, support them heavily. I think that is, you know, something that we should think about. And then 
I often got that, especially in you know my early days of the shelter when we were doing transports out that, oh, you're transporting all the, all the kittens and all the cute ones, all the fluffy ones. They're going somewhere else and we're left with these, you know, tabbies or something. I don't know. But I think what makes those so special, the, the kittens and the fluffy ones, you know, I mean, it doesn't mean their personality is any different. So I think if we start to really focus on what we have, when I ran the shelter in Camden, 85% of the dogs were short, stubby, blocky headed pit bulls. We had a ton of them, you know, and that was when I first got to that shelter, they said that was their barrier of being like a no kill shelter. They got all the same dogs and, and nobody wants these dogs and all this stuff. But we really start to focus on those dogs. You know, I, I noticed that our marketing that went out, you know, we're sending out a flyer about an adoption event and it has like a golden retriever and a fluffy Persian cat. Neither of those animals are in our shelter <laughs> and they probably won't be, you know, so start really focusing on the, on the animals that you have and telling their stories and talking about them a little bit in, in a much, in a much better light, not really focusing on those ones that like the fluffy ones, the golden retrievers, like all those, those really cute, like Persian cats that they're not going to ever lose their life in a shelter. They're going to be saved. Right. So no matter what they come in, we'll fit, we'll figure those guys out. They're going to find their way out. We have to focus on the animals that need our help the most and kind of telling their stories and making them just as popular as the fluffy ones and the Persians and stuff like that. So uh, I think that's, that's what we did at my shelter in, in Camden and it worked, it worked big time, you know, but I think, yeah, TNR and changing the way we market those cats uh, would be my number one, my number two. You talk about supporting folks, you know, of course, we've also talked a bit or, you know, sort of in the industry, we've talked a little bit about, you know, spay neuter, not only just spay neuter, but veterinary. So veterinarian shortage, vet tech shortage. And there's certainly, I mean, I don't think that there are a lot of African American veterinarians out there, as well as all kinds of ethnicities with regards to veterinarians or technicians. Is there any extra support there for folks that are interested in pursuing those careers, which are really expensive to get educated? Yeah. So we have uh, the Jody Blackwell Fund right now where we're raising money. We've raised close to $100,000 and we're using that money to support Black veterinarians. So we are sending that money to schools. We have, I think, six schools that have signed on that'll be participating in this. And we're going to send them money for scholarships for for uh, black veterinarians. But I think that in itself is going to help. But I, I hate to go back to the same thing. I think it's the narratives too, and highlighting those that are already out there. You know, there's an amazing show on Nat Geo called The Critter Fixers. If you haven't seen that show, definitely go watch that show. Uh, but the more we do to kind of highlight other people that are doing these jobs, I think it's going to help in the long run. You know, unfortunately, I don't know of any quick fix for this issue of us having a shortage right now. But again, I think animal welfare has always been very reactive, like you like you said earlier. So I think it's time that we start thinking proactively and, and really thinking about how can we build capacity for these people in the future. And I think one of those ways is, is highlighting those people to bring more people into this, uh, this career path. So if I'm just an individual person and I'm interested in finding out more information or getting involved, you know, how would they do that? Our website, first off, careawo.org. It's a great website. It has a bunch of different information. You can find information about all of our divisions. And then joining the CARE Circle, I think, is the easiest for everyone. So again, you're going to text CIRCLE to 52886. 
you're automatically joined at that point. And then you'll start hearing about all the amazing stuff that we have coming up. Um, we have like a ready certification. It's like a, a, a certification for shelter workers, volunteers, really anybody. So you will be care certified. It dives deep into all the uh, DEI strategies and, and really focusing on how we diversify and how that affects, you know, everything we do in animal welfare or really everything we do in our life. So, yeah, I mean, I think that would be the best way. Join that circle and you'll hear about stuff in real time. That's fantastic. And are you guys on social? Oh, yeah, definitely. We have a Facebook, Instagram. We just started a TikTok not too long ago. And we have a bunch of pages. We have pages for our main care page. We have care centers. Now we have the caregiver circle page as well. Oh, fantastic. Great. Mike, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? No, I think I think we covered it all. I mean, when when we talked about this earlier, I was going to mention the circle uh, during this, but I, I mentioned that a couple times. So, no, I think this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for having us. That's great. And I want to just share with all the folks out there: if you've got your passion for action and you want to love your love the cats, and please reach out to Care. Looks like and it sounds like they'll be able to help you. So you know, just. Turn your passion for cats into action. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show today, listening. Don't forget, join our conference, online cat conference at the Community Cats Podcast. It's going to be next weekend, the 28th through the 30th. It's going to be full of some great presentations. We have some awesome, awesome people. So thank you again, Mike. I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And I hope we'll have you on again in the future. 100%. Thank you so much. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Wow.